Happy Tuesday, everyone. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Badass Writers Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Fox. I'm so excited about today's guest. It's my first opportunity to talk with an indie bookstore owner, and she's an author, and her store just totally gives off that sweet, warm, and friendly vibe in a quaint, small town. We're going to learn a lot with all of the insight that she shares with us, so I'm going to dive right into today's episode. And also, at the end, we totally gush over her agent, who many of you might know and love from the Shit No One Tells You About Writing podcast. My guest today is Jan Scott, who is a writer, a cookbook author, former blogger, and independent bookstore owner. She was the food editor for the Savvy Mom Group from 2011 to 2020 and has had essays and articles published in the Toronto Star, Canadian Family, rest in peace, and What's Up Canada's Family Magazine, also rest in peace. In 2014, she co-authored the cookbook Gatherings, which was nominated for a Taste Canada Award in the Best General Cookbook category in 2015. She's also the Globe and Mail bestselling author of Oven to Table, gold winner of the 2020 Taste Canada Awards in the Best Single Subject Cookbook category. Prior to making the transition to food writing, she worked for a private catering company. After almost 25 years in Toronto, she and her husband Rob purchased a 125-year-old heritage home in a town that's one one hundredth the size of where they came from, they traded in traffic for tranquility when they relocated their family, which includes three sons and their beloved bull mastiff, to a small town in southwestern Ontario. In her limited free time, she's trying to write her first novel. So for our listeners, I'm going to be spotlighting some localish indie bookstore owners. And when I say localish, I mean local to me, as I want to be able to visit them in person if possible. And it, even this one is over two hours away from me. And Jan is my first indie bookstore owner guest. So welcome and thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you about all things book and bookstores and writing. And I have a ton of questions, so hopefully we'll be able to get through them all. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored. Let's just talk about opening a business to begin sure. with. It's definitely no small feat. Um, deciding to do so takes a lot of passion behind what you're offering customers or clients. So what do you think made you so passionate about books that you wanted to open an indie bookstore? I mean, I think that I I will say I I wish I had like a really great answer for this question. But I think really what it comes down to is that we were just I don't know, a little bit impulsive and a little bit, you know, um, thoughtless. Honestly, it was just like, uh, do you think we should open a bookstore around here? Okay, why don't we do that? Okay, uh, let's drive around and find a place to open it. And we drove around and we found a building and we saw that there was a for lease sign and we signed a lease within like 10 days. And then my husband and I looked at each other and we're like, okay, so we're going to open a bookstore. <laughs> Oh, that's wow. that's like really kind of like just very impulsive. I think though, looking at it, like there's a long, long history between me and my love of books and being a writer and being an author. And I just had a feeling I could see sort of through the pandemic that the trends were leaning towards people had returned to reading. People had returned to reading paper books. So I kind of felt like confident that we could um, do okay. I was a little bit nervous, of course, about opening a business in a pandemic. But 
I also thought this area really lends itself to like artists and creatives and there was no bookstore here. So we just took a chance. Yeah. I love that answer. I mean, you're, you are taking your chances with, with doing it in such a short amount of time, but if it's something that you really, really feel that you can do. And I mean, you, you kind of looked at the aspect of, you know, people are returning to reading, as you said, um, yeah. I mean, obviously that's a, that's a big part of opening an indie bookstore and you were opening in a place that didn't have one. So, I mean, that's, I think that's fantastic. I love that answer. Yeah. And like the closest, the closest bookstore to where we have opened in general, regardless of whether it's indie or like a big box bookstore is a 20 minute drive in one direction, a 35 minute drive in another direction, and maybe a 45 minute drive in another direction. So you know, there really isn't immediate competition, which I think made us feel that we could kind of pull this off. And then I also think in addition to seeing that people were going back to reading, there was also a massive surge in like social media book sharing with Mm -hmm. like bookstagram and book talk on TikTok. And so I kind of thought, okay, this, this is not dying on these social media platforms. Like books are here to stay. And I think that maybe falsely, I'm not sure because I don't know how long it's going to last. But that really made me feel confident as well in taking a chance and doing this. Yeah. I mean, it has to be nerve wracking anyways, regardless, but um, we've never, we've never owned a business before. Like I've self-employed as a writer, but we have never owned like a brick and mortar business. Well, can I ask about what goes into the process of selecting books for your store? Oh my gosh. That was, um, so what I will say is that I had a great, great indie bookstore near where I used to live in Toronto. It's called a novel spot bookshop. And I got to know the owner a little bit through being an author. And I reached out to her when I decided that I was going to try and do this. And I reached out to her and she was so helpful to me. I cannot stress how useful the information that she gave me was. And I think it's because of her that I felt that I was really able to get a handle on what I needed to do. So she told me immediately who to set accounts up with. She told me what point of sale I needed to use. She gave me names of people to connect to. And then from there, I just sort of reached out, made an introduction, set up an account, met with the sales reps, got book lists. She also suggested, you know, following on social media and following bestsellers lists and that kind of thing. But I think the most valuable piece of advice she gave me is that the bookstore that you open is not going to be the bookstore that you're going to have one year later because your customers will actually end up dictating what you sell. And that has proven to be true. We are coming up on our one year anniversary. Yeah. (laughs) And I will say that has proven to be true because you get to know your community. You get to know what kind of books your community likes to read. And of course, you are going to have, you know, the TikTok favorites and the Globe and Mail's bestsellers list in your store. But then you're also going to have like some niche things that might be a little more specific to your community that I wouldn't have necessarily stocked from the onset. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you read every book that comes through your door before you sell it? My gosh, I sure wish I could. Yeah. 
<laughs> I do not. So I try on average to read 10 to 12 books a month, which, you know, sometimes seems, a, it doesn't sound like a lot, but considering I'm in the store five days a week and I have a family that's, you know, two to three a week. And that's about all I can manage right now. But I have uh, two booksellers here who read kind of in genres different than where I typically gravitate towards. So between the three of us, I think we get a lot of the more popular, interesting, even obscure books kind of covered. If I can't read it, I definitely make sure I know about it. Like I know what the plot is. I know what the premise is. I know the setting. I know the genre, that sort of thing. And I also really try hard to make a lot of connections between comp titles. So if somebody comes in and says, I absolutely loved where the crawdad's saying, what can you recommend? Even if I haven't read it, I, I am very confident that I can send them down a path to something that I think that they will like just based on, you know, plot character setting, that sort of thing. That is fantastic because one of the things that, as you know, um, as a writer, it's it's so hard to find those comps. And when we are, you know, querying agents and publishers, that is something that's very important to do. And it's hard to know where to go to find them. And I think just hearing you say that, that is a fantastic resource. People should go to their indie bookstores. They should go to their libraries. They should go to someone who is surrounded by books all the time and and constantly you know in touch with what's out there immediately right now and i think that can definitely help emerging writers who are listening so thank you for saying that <laughs> oh you're welcome i think so too and i think it's you know there's there's always books i use where the crowd adds things because that's the one that comes up the most where okay. people are just like i loved that book so much but I can't find anything else like it. And actually, truth be told, like I get a lot of those types of comps and recommendations from other customers who come in the store and they'll say, oh, I read this book and I loved it. And it reminded me, you know, so much of where the crawdads sing in the setting. I'm like, oh, really? And then something like that, I will pick up and I will probably try to read. And then I'm like, yep. Okay. So if somebody comes in and they say, uh, what did you like about where the crawdads sing? Well, we liked the Southern setting. Okay, great. I can, I can give a comp for that, but maybe somebody else really liked the courtroom legal drama aspect of it. You know, maybe somebody else like that, this girl kind of like was a bit of an orphan and sort of raised herself. So I try to pick out what people liked about the book and then have comps, not just trying to comp the whole book, if that makes right. sense. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think it's important to when a writer is is crafting their query letter, they should put in what element or or maybe a couple of elements in each comp title that they're using as as something that is similar to their own project. Um, instead of just comping the whole thing, like you said. So you were mentioning about, you know, like industry contacts and things like that. Do you ever get approached by individual authors about selling their books or doing like a book event? Does that generally happen through an author's publicist or marketing team or or how does that work? Um, I get approached all the time. So we, interestingly, there are a lot of self-published authors around this area and we have like a whole little section by our front door called local authors and our sort of policy is that we will put any self-public local author in our store for three months our hope is that we'll sell three copies of their book within the three months 
If not, then they come and collect their books and then it allows us to make space for the next self-published local author. In terms of working with published authors, like traditionally published authors, they mostly approach me and they mostly do the work themselves. I have an author from London, Ontario, really a prolific children's author coming to the store this Friday. She's going to do a book signing, a craft with the kids. Uh, she's going to sign copies of her books for Christmas gifts, holiday gifts. We have had no contact with the publisher at all <laughs> for this okay. event. It's just been her and I coordinating it ourselves. Yeah. Um, that seems to be typically how it works. I did have one cookbook author come through this past summer. She had written her book with the same team that I used for my most recent cookbook. So the editor for that book reached out to me and said, hey, would you be interested in helping with that? But I think that's just because her and I had a personal connection. Yeah. Um, I haven't had anybody else reach out to me directly from a publishing house. Okay. Well, I love that the sound of that event. That sounds amazing. That's such a, a great thing, especially with kids to get them involved. Yeah, we love to do events here. And I, I really love to do kid events, but I love to do events in general. And I really do invite like any authors to reach out. We happily will do signings and uh, have them, you know, sit at a table and meet and greet with the customers. And I think the community really likes that too. Like they... Yeah. You feel really special when an author comes to town. Oh, that's amazing. It sounds so exciting. So what trends have you been noticing in the book selling business? Like whether that's genres, nonfiction topics, indie versus traditional, etc. I, you know what, I thought a lot about this question because I thought, geez, what am I really noticing? And I would say three things really come to mind. Number one, indigenous authored books or books about Indigenous culture are extremely popular right now, at least in my store. I have no trouble selling anything that has been written by an especially Canadian Indigenous author, and people actually come seeking it out quite often. So I would say that I don't know if that again, is a geographic trend in books or if it's actually happening in all bookstores. The other one that I would say is audiobooks. Even though we are like a brick and mortar paper book bookstore, we still have a lot of people who come in and buy books from us, but they also want audiobooks for their walks and their car trips. And we have partnered with a company called Libro FM, which is an audiobook company that gives some of the profits to indie bookstores. And so that I think is a huge trend. And then, like I said previously, anything that features on TikTok <laughs> is a huge trend. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. Um, I really like hearing that there that you're seeing that that upwards trend with the indigenous author books or oh, so much so. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah that's fantastic so to hear. And again, like we have a lot of books. I would say that are very trendy here right now. But again, I don't know if that's because of the geographic area where we are located or if these things are trending in all bookstores. Another one here in particular is nature books. Like okay. anything related to nature, I sell like crazy, like mushrooms, trees, gardens. Is an indie bookstore in downtown Toronto selling that too? 
I honestly don't know. Mm-hmm. I think I would guess maybe not as much, but who really knows? Um, I went to an indie bookstore uh, just outside of Guelph recently, and they had like two full shelves devoted to bird watching books. Oh, okay. And I thought, oh, okay, this is what's really popular here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> bird watching, because I barely sell any books about birding, nor do I have many requests for them. So I thought, okay. oh, okay, so this must be an area where bird watching is very, very popular. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, just having grown up here and, you know, we used to take trips to various, you know, like day trips and things like that all over the place when my brother and I were growing up. And and you do kind of start to see certain areas are more popular for certain things. So it kind of sounds like the geographical area would have an impact on on what is purchased. But it's interesting, though, because a lot of people from Toronto, you know, they have cottages in cottage country or something like that, where maybe birding or fishing or foraging for mushrooms or anything like that would be more popular. So sure, it's really interesting. It is. And so like I said, I don't know if this is like a trend, you know, province wide or nationwide, or if it's just a big trend in our store because of where we're located. It's very, you know, outdoorsy here. There's a lot of hiking. There's a lot of gardening. We're sort of like in an agricultural hub. So there's lots of like, we're surrounded by farmers, five minutes in any direction, surrounded by farmland. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, that lends itself to a certain type of book that may not be popular elsewhere. But I think also that's kind of what is great about an indie bookstore is you know, you're, if you go into an indie bookstore here or an indie bookstore where you live or an indie bookstore outside of Toronto, you are going to find those different things that kind of separate them from other bookstores just because of what the community is looking for. Yeah, absolutely. So you were talking about the event that's coming up on Friday with, with yeah. the, the children's author. What sorts of other things do you do to ensure that you're seen in your local community and, you know, building that presence? I think probably two of the biggest things are that we have an in-store book club that runs every month. And we also do toddler story time for kids. And so we have really tapped into like the readers in this town. Our book club is now full and we have a wait list for it. So I think we may end up adding a second night in the new year. So I think that word of mouth has spread about our book club. And so people are, you know, they're coming in and they're talking to me a lot about the book club, but then they end up staying because they like the store and they're interested in books and then they tell a friend. And so I think having these sort of community building events has really been the thing that has made us sort of been seen here in this town. And then also I've worked really hard to build relationships with the other business owners so I shop in their stores. I buy lunch from their restaurants. I, you know, did my Christmas shopping and back to school shopping and that kind of thing here in their stores and got to know them really well and have worked with them. We just did an event in town that I sort of coordinated with some of the other business owners. And I think that also has been very helpful. I love that. I love the engagement aspect. I think it's so important, regardless of what you're doing, to engage with not just the the people that you have coming through your door, but also the other businesses in the area, because it's kind of all about coming together and working together to make that whole, you know, like the downtown feel or whatnot, to make it 
you know, because usually someone isn't going to come and just go to one store. They're going to go downtown. They're going to go into this store and that store and this store and that store. Um, and I think it's great when all of the business owners can come together and kind of, you know, lift each other up or support each other, promote each other, et cetera. And the engagement, I think, is just that's so huge. So I love hearing that. I think so. And I've really tried hard. We've collaborated with some of um, the local businesses on different things. And I, I feel that the feedback from the community is that they really love this. So um, this summer, we had a little reading program for kids. So if they read three books in July or three books in August, they would have a little ticket that we created. They would come into our store. We would stamp their card or ticket each time they completed a book. And when they had three stamps, they could take it to the bakery next door to me and exchange it for a cookie. Um, so the kids really liked doing that. We did a cookbook book club last winter and spring with another bakery in town. So the chef there, she, you know, has trained in a multitude of very impressive places and is now opening a cooking school in a farm. And she approached me about how about I pick a cookbook each month and we'll call it, you know, the, the name of the bakery's kitchen smidgen. So we'll call it the kitchen smidgen and Betty's bookshelf book club. And then people can bake at home. And she baked her way through the book and gave tips and tricks and that sort of thing. And people would come into the store and buy the book discounted. And then our most recent collaboration is I partnered with the lady who owns the pottery store around the corner from me. And we made exclusive like reading mugs to sell in our store I love that it's like handmade pottery just made like right around the corner from us by two you know female-owned businesses and people seem like just insanely happy about it yeah well you're speaking to my heart for sure I love pottery (laughs) I am obsessed with pottery (laughs) that's wonderful oh yeah so I think that also has been really key in into like sort of just building this community based presence because we're trying really, really hard to work with a lot of the other business owners. Yeah. Um, And I really love all the photos that you put on your Instagram account. And it's just just everything that you're saying about the store and about what you're doing to involve yourself in the community and and engage with with customers in that. Um, It's just giving me this feel of it's unique. It's quaint. it, It makes me feel like it's a warm and welcoming atmosphere and that the Instagram post that you put on there kind of uh, solidifies that. And so for any listeners who'd like to see what I mean, please go and follow them at Betty's Bookshelf. I've always wondered what indie store posts are, are like how they're curated. Um, is it simply by whatever you want to put on there? Do you have a marketing professional that kind of deals with posting on Instagram or, or other social media accounts? Or is it kind of a collaborative effort? Like how do you decide what you want to put on there? Oh gosh. I mean, I almost feel embarrassed to say it's like whatever strikes my fancy that day. (laughs) So I just walk around the store and I'm like, oh, we should talk about this today. And then I take a picture and write the caption and I post it. And I'm almost embarrassed to say that's about the extent of thought that goes into it. There are programs where you can work with publishers and you can take pictures of certain books or certain displays and you can be paid in credit to feature books and that sort of thing. I would say if anyone is a blogger or a social media person, it wouldn't be that different from doing like a sponsored post or a sponsor, some sponsored content, but 
to be honest, I just don't feel like I have the time to do that. And then I just feel like it also isn't really my voice if I do that. So I just keep my social media to myself. It's only me and it's just very organic. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think that's what I like about it is it, it is very personal. It's personalized. It's not commercial, if that makes sense. Oh, thank you. I'm yeah. glad you think so. It's, it is really, it is like, I have obviously used Instagram for a lot of years and it has always been personal. And I do recognize now it is a business account and maybe I should approach it, I guess, a little more professionally, but I just don't really know how to do that. So yeah, well, it's see what I know, for, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just want to talk about kind of what's trending in the market. So do booksellers typically have any input on what is trending? Like, do publishers ask, do they reach out to you and ask, hey, what is selling in your store to help them make publishing decisions? Or is there like limited communication between indie booksellers and publishing houses? I can only say from my own experience, for me, no, booksellers have no input <laughs> on what's trending or what's happening. Right. Um, but again, I'm very new for somebody who's been in the business for a very long time. It could be very different for them. I think like every industry right now, I get the sense that publishing is you know, really facing kind of the same labor shortage that a lot of other businesses and industries are experiencing. And I have actually like kind of minimal contact with mm. publishers and sales reps. Yeah. Um, they kind of reach out seasonally with their new catalogs. They will have like virtual meetings with us, or they hold something called the London book fair, where you can get together and you can see what everyone is really excited about for the upcoming season. But I also know from the author side of it that like book deals are signed so far in advance of when the books come out that like no one is asking you know, the bookseller in St. Mary's, Ontario, like, what do you think would be a good cookbook to have on the market two years from now? Right. Right. So I think like, we just sort of get the material as it becomes available. Also, I would say the interesting thing with social media, and I'll, I'll use this um, person as an example, because her name is so familiar is, you know, what's happening with Colleen Hoover right now, she's kind of turning the market upside down because it's not even her new books that are becoming so popular again and trending. It's books that she wrote like six, seven, five, four years ago. Right. And no one could have predicted that and no one expects it. So I think things that are trending sometimes even surprise the publishers. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone is then scrambling to get the books printed and to get them in stores. So I would say in my experience, booksellers don't have a lot of say, but again, maybe that's different if you've been a bookseller for 20 years, maybe right. a publisher does approach you and say, listen, you've been doing this for a long time. Like, you know, what are people coming in and asking? I really wish they would. I think like we're the people who are sort of like boots on the ground, right? <laughs> to the public. So it would be interesting, like if they sort of picked our brains a little bit to mm -hmm. say, hey, you know, what are people coming in and asking for? Yeah, I mean, that that would kind of make sense. 
I would think so. You know, like I, if someone was to ever ask me, I would say, um, you need to have somebody write a book about this area because uh-huh. the number of people who come in and ask for a book about the history of this area or the arts community or the houses. There's a lot of interesting houses. People are always asking if we have some sort of history book or coffee table book. And yep. I'm thinking, oh yeah, why why is nobody going to like these areas mm-hmm. that you know have a lot of tourists and going, we should publish some books about there? Because I think I probably could have sold several hundred of them this summer. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> So next, I kind of wanted to ask about what's behind the name Betty's Bookshelf, because that obviously is not your name. So where did that come from? Betty is my grandmother, and she is the reason that I am a reader. She, I, I think she's probably responsible for a lot of my, you know, my sister and my cousins being readers. She used to do things when we were kids, like on the last day of school, she would take us out for lunch into the bookstore to buy a book for summer. Uh, When we became, I don't know, about 10 or 11, I'm almost ashamed to say she used to sneak us her Danielle Steele books and say like, (laughs) put these under your covers, don't let your parents see. And uh, she really fostered like a love of the arts and a love of reading. And she passed away in 2019. And when we were opening the store in 2020, I don't know, I just couldn't get it out of my head that we should somehow name the store after her. And also, I just thought, you know, kind of lends itself to being a small town bookstore name, like, you know, you might not have a Betty's in a big city, but I thought it just sort of worked in a smaller town and a community. And I like to think that it's sort of her legacy is that now we have this whole business that's named after her that, you know, she didn't get to see, but I'm sure she would really, really love. Oh, that is so sweet. What a wonderful tribute. And it just the name, you know, like you said, you wouldn't see that in something like Toronto, but it's, it's quaint, you know, it's, it's perfect so. for small town atmosphere. I think so. And honestly, I've never been called Betty so many times in my life. <laughs> like everybody comes into the store now and they say, I assume you're Betty. And I have to repeat the story. to them. And but I, I mean, I don't mind. It's such an honor. And I just think it just has sort of like an old fashioned feel to it. And it, it just seemed like the right thing to do. Like we, you know, we, we could have called the store anything, I think, but I just like that it has deep meaning for our family. Yeah, absolutely. That is so sweet. I love that. Um, So in terms of your own writing, you have two published cookbooks. One is Up Into Table, the other is Gatherings. And I'm always curious about the inspiration behind cookbooks. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. The first cookbook that I wrote, Gatherings, I co-wrote with a very good friend of mine, Julie Van Rosendahl, who's a prolific Canadian cookbook author. And we just sort of wanted, we could see this trend kind of happening on Instagram and in blogs and social media about kind of fancy entertaining. And we just wanted to write a book that would kind of say, no, 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 hold on a second. You don't need to get really fancy to entertain. Like you can, you know, order a pizza, you can serve mac and cheese, you can do it really simply, effortlessly. You don't have to have a big house. All of your dishes don't have to match. And that kind of was the catalyst for that book. And then interestingly, after we published it, there were several books to come out afterwards that had the term gather or gatherings in the title. So I think we were just kind of a little bit on trend with that, which was really interesting. And then with oven to table, 
truth be told, I can take no credit for that concept. I had written a book proposal. It had nothing to do with the premise of oven to table, which is one pot, one pan cooking. It was really a family focused cookbook. My agent took it out to all of the, you know, sort of big publishing houses and editors. And a couple came back and said, this is great, but we already have things like this on the schedule for the next couple of years. And Penguin Random House came back and said, "Mm, not this book, but maybe another book. And we noticed in her proposal, there were several recipes that were made in one pot and one pan, and maybe we could do something with that. And so it was really kind of their idea. And I had a week to sort of put together a quick two page proposal. My original proposal was like 94 pages. And oh my I goodness. put together a quick two page one about one pot, one pan cooking. And I just sort of came up with these ideas of six different vessels, you know, full day's worth of meals from breakfast through to dinner and dessert. And they were like, yes, let's go with it. So that one was just kind of almost a fluke in a way because I ended up writing a book that was nothing that I had put a proposal together for. Wow. Well, that sounds amazing. I honestly don't have a lot of cookbooks, but those two I have looked at and I definitely want to pick them up because I love cooking. I I don't get a lot of time to cook, but I do. I really, really love to cook. So those, those sound really great. Oh, great. And as I mentioned in your intro, you're also working on your first novel. So where are you with that project? (laughs) Not nearly far enough along. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, um, you know, so my agent is Carly Waters and she had approached me after I won the Taste Canada Award for Oven to Table to say, okay, is it time to start thinking about a new project? And honestly, I think the idea of writing another cookbook just felt very uninspiring at the time. Like I had been the food editor for the Savvy Mom group for almost 10 years. I had written two cookbooks with the Savvy Mom group. I wrote 1,205 articles in those 10 years on cooking for a family. And I honestly felt like I had nothing left to say, (laughs) (laughs) but there aren't enough novels that are set in the food world. So Mm. maybe... I could try something like that. And so I mentioned it to her. She was like, can't wait to see what you come up with. And I am the very first person to admit that writing fiction is very, very different from writing nonfiction. Mm -hmm. And I think it's way harder. I don't know. Somebody might disagree with me, but (laughs) it's way harder. And I think it felt way harder to be a good writer than writing in nonfiction and first person most of the time. And um, so I think I got to about 25,000, 30,000 words. Then I decided to open a bookstore. I Uh revisited it twice. And I keep saying to Carly, like, don't give up on me. Like, I, I am going to try to get this done. I feel though, like it might be the slowest project that I ever (laughs) And and if she gives up on me, that's okay, because I'll understand. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I am producing nothing. (laughs) It's very hard. I have so much like more respect for authors today than I even did before, because now that I've tried my hand at it, it's just a a lot of hard work. Mm -hmm. I think... If, uh, you know, I I haven't written a nonfiction book, but what my thoughts are on it is that, you know, when you're writing 
nonfiction. That's something that you are an expert in. So you're asking people to trust your expertise. Whereas with fiction, you're essentially asking people to just trust your your creativity and your imagination, which isn't the same thing. So I think maybe that adds some extra pressure on fiction writers because it's hard, like with the believability aspect, right? In nonfiction, the believability is there because it's all real. But with fiction, it's made up. So you have to really, really work hard to get that believability in there. Yes, 100%. And like the dialogue, oh my gosh, I'm a big, (laughs) big talker. But translating that to page, it just never seemed like realistic or like, I felt like I was in like sixth grade writing the dialogue. It was, (laughs) oh my gosh, how do they get this right? (laughs) But I, I like the challenge of it. I like the story that I have in my head. I still now, like almost two years later, I still feel that there's room for some food fiction out there. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially, you know, last year when I saw the popularity of Stanley Tucci's book and show, I was like, oh, people really, even if they're not interested in food, they really want to read about food, which I thought was really interesting. So if anyone's listening and they want to write food fiction, I would say go for it because I have very few books that I could actually recommend to people when they come in and say, I want a fictional novel set like in the food world. There's not a lot that exists. Yeah. For me, when I, when you say that, I think about the fact that, and really going back to the title of your, your first book, Gatherings, food mm-hmm. is about so much more than just food and, and consuming food. It's yeah. about gathering with the people that you love and, and sharing the experience of dinners or breakfast or, or whatever with those people. So there's so much more that goes into the concept of food than just the food. And I think you're right. I think that would be fantastic food fiction that that should be like, that should be a thing. It really should be a thing. Like I think about, you know, when, when I'm bringing all the books into the store and I'm sitting at the computer receiving them and we have like our little labels that go on the back that tell us which section of the store they go into. And I'm always like, oh, there's like historical fiction and there's the new one now is called uh, Cly Sci. It's like climate based science fiction sort of. I'm like, there's all these like sub genres and I'm like, but there's no like food. (laughs) Right. I'm like, everybody loves the idea of like, I mean, first of all, we all have to eat every day. Yeah. And also I think we have like so many emotions attached to food as well, whether it's a family holiday, a birthday, even like a mom, like feeding her brand new baby. All she thinks about is, are they getting enough food? Yeah. You know, so I, I really do feel like it could be a category that can get very explored with authors. So um, there's just not, I mean, I can think of a handful of books, but there's just not enough of it where you're like, if I really want to read about like the food world, where do I go? I mean, I think that that's honestly why so many people say, oh, like I don't cook that much, but I read cookbooks at night in bed because I think it's so comforting and it's just a world that we love to immerse ourselves in, but there's just not enough of it in fiction. I don't think. I agree 100%. I think it should be a thing. If there is, it's in like romance. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not to, you know, not to dumb down romance because romance is a very popular genre right now. But in romance, there's a lot of cute young girl opens a bakery next to, you know, the coffee shop owned by the cute young boy type of thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's room for like some 
other commercial fiction or literary fiction set in the food world. Yes, absolutely. Um, so my last question for you today, um, sure. I first found out about you and, and your shop through Carly Waters that I saw her post some things on Instagram. So then I, I loved it immediately and I've been following all the way along. So that's how I knew how to approach you. And I'm just wondering, just talking about Carly there, how was that process of getting Carly to represent you? And I guess you've kind of already answered it. If it's strictly for the cookbook or is she going to represent fiction as well? It sounds like she'll be doing both. Well, I mean, if she would, of course, yeah. I would never turn down an opportunity to work with her again. In terms of how, you know, we sort of got together to work together, it was really crazy. I sent her an email over Christmas holidays. And I, I mean, I'll backtrack a little bit. I had done some research and I did not have an agent with my first book. A lot of cookbook authors didn't at that time have agents. And I just thought, nope, I like, I like working with people. I like being a collaborator. I don't want to be the only person involved. And I missed kind of working with people. And I thought, no, I think an agent would be really great to have. So I started doing some research and I came across Carly and I just loved kind of the vibe of everything that she was working on and that she put out. And then I saw, um, that we went to the same university. And so I thought, okay, there's, this is my type of person. And so I sent her an email, just a query letter, very brief over Christmas vacation. She responded within like three days and said, send me more. And I sent her more and we had a phone conversation and she happened to come to Toronto and we met for coffee. And then I signed with her within like four weeks of that first email. Wow, that is yeah. amazing. I know. I think I feel like it's a bit of a unicorn story, but <laughs> um, I think it was just right place, right time, right project. She hadn't, I don't think, worked with a lot of cookbook authors at that time. I know that that's changed. I can honestly only think of one other author that she was working with who was a cookbook author. So I think she was a little bit new to cookbook authors at that time. And I just loved everything that she did. So I thought that, you know, we could work well together. Yeah. Carly is amazing. She really, she really has, I don't know, her vibe is incredible. I think everything that she puts out there. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. yeah. And she's so knowledgeable and insightful. So you are very lucky to have her as your agent. So it's fantastic. I think so too. I felt <laughs> very lucky. And I've actually, I will say I've had so many other cookbook authors who do have agents message me privately over the years and say things like, I can't believe how supportive your agent is, yeah. or I can't believe how much your agent helps to promote you, or I can't believe that your agent like shares this about you or shares that about you. And so I don't think that maybe my experience was the one that everyone has with an agent. Mm -hmm. And so I would say, you know, if you can get Carly to represent you, then you're going to be in really good hands. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, Jan, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been a really fun conversation. And I, I look forward to visiting your, your store one day. And good luck with your fiction. I look forward to hearing more about that when it's ready. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure.
Thanks so much for listening, everyone. You know, I've recently been contacted by a few listeners who just wanted to reach out and tell me how much they appreciate the show. It really warms my heart to hear that, and I'm so thankful for your comments and support. If you'd like to leave a review for the podcast, please go ahead and do that on either Spotify or Apple or whatever platform you listen on. It helps to let others discover it, and I think the more the merrier in this case. We're only a week away from my first anniversary of being here, and I can't believe what a wild ride it's been. I can't believe I get to do this and bring you these tips and interviews that hopefully in some way helps you on your writing journey. Until next time, keep being badass.